to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Not a whole lot, man. I am. Uh, this may be the last podcast I'm actually on before I'm six feet under and I'm officially a dead person. Since um, you've become a parent. Let's, let's talk about that. But what kind of parent? I've become a puppy parent, as uh, as you probably, if you follow me on social, follow noobs on social, have seen. Um, we are not even a week into the journey. We're actually, this is uh, going to be our sixth night. So six out of seven, I believe, makes one week, if I remember correctly. And I have no idea what day it is. I have no idea who I work for. Um I don't know kind of which room of the house I'm supposed to sleep in. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to eat different food than what the puppy eats or the same thing. Um, I am a shell of a human being right now. And I don't remember ever in my life being this tired and this exhausted from virtually everything that happens to me on a day-to-day basis. So for those of us who have not had a dog or had a puppy, right, walk us through what does that even mean, man? Like, are you talking about you're getting up every other hour to take him out? Like, what is? Yeah. So we, you know, some people probably a little bit more diligent about the nighttime, uh, you know, pee and potty breaks just because they want them to get really potty trained and know that they can always go outside. We wake up every night at 3 Sometimes at six, sometimes at midnight, depending on when we sleep to take him out. It is uh, 20 degrees and snowing, by the way, in Chicago for, for those interested. Uh, so that's a nice uh, addition. And then during the day, he needs to be taken out every couple hours. He needs to be played with because he's a golden doodle and has a ton of energy and therefore needs to exert it in some form or fashion. He's teething like a motherfucker. So if you're not playing with him and he's not asleep, he's literally eating each of your 10 toes and 10 fingers, um, as well as ripping up everything in the house from carpets to rugs to his own crate bed. Um, And then after all that, he just sits in your lap and falls asleep, which is the most disarming part of the whole thing, uh, the whole experience. But it is 24-7 nonstop attention required if he's awake in his crate and he doesn't see you in the immediate vicinity he's going to be howling to the moon like professor lupin that's the kind (laughs) of shit we're dealing with um separation anxiety he grew up on a farm with his siblings and his mom and therefore you know there's a lot of loneliness which i understand he's still learning how to walk so going outside is always a challenge and He'll walk right behind you and then be scared of everything, including fire. I mean, he's never been in a city. Um, in his to his credit, he's fifteen out of ten cute, but my will to exist is slowly withering away as I just don't have the fuel. There's no Gatorade. There's no amount of Gatorade on this world that would recharge me with the the level of electrolytes that I need. So his name's Winston, right? His name is Winston. He is going to be 11 weeks on Saturday. Awesome. Well, you know, the funny thing is my voice from my normal discourse. 
you sound like you know when we play 2k at uh 1 p.m on a saturday or a friday after a tndc yeah this is the and exact kind of taco and just <laughs> face planting into the burrito yeah this is exactly the same kind of vibe i'm getting um so the funny thing is on instagram right i see the pic it's very cute dog right super cute um puppy i mean and i see you know today i saw noobs post about him sitting like on command and you know everything it looks like oh wow this dog is well behaved he's so cute instagram (laughs) versus reality moment yeah and then the reality though is um yeah Yeah, tell them the picture i sent you guys about what's actually happening during the day Uh, (laughs) eating eating off your knee (laughs) while i'm holding my laptop up trying to type an email in midair like fucking i don't even know what um but that's exciting, man. Wait, how old is he again, you said? He's going to be 11 weeks. So he's still not old enough to have had all his shots, which is one of the big challenges because we can't send him to any type of dog daycare. We can't take him to dog parks to get his energy out and socialize. Not yet. We got about two to three more weeks until he gets all his uh, vaccines. Um even though I'm about to pull a Kyrie and say we're a voice for the voiceless, let's just get him to the dog daycare right now. Um Forget the vaccines, uh, but those are, that's kind of the precursor. Even to go to like training, we're probably going to do like one of those six week programs. It's like you know, like one hour a week, and you you go there with your dog, and they like teach you how to like do different things and not be a moron. So, um, interestingly enough, there is a lot of money in dog training YouTube videos. Um, we've plowed oh, yeah? through quite a lot. Uh, all of them are sponsored to the max, right? can't even tell what's product solicitation versus genuine advice, but we've watched them all. And of course, all of their allegedly brand new puppies do exactly what they're told on first command. And then my guys like actively got half of my foot in his mouth while I'm trying to tell him to just relax. So um, it is something I, the, the worst, the worst part is the other day i took him out for 45 minutes literally walking back and forth in front of our house. No joke. Just trying to get him to, uh, you know, to poop. Doesn't go. I'm like, okay, maybe he doesn't need to go. We walk in within two minutes. He's looking at me near the trash can and just unloads. (laughs) Diabolical behavior, really. Um, I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm a shell of a human being. I'll say it again. I don't know what to do. Everyone goes through this. Everyone has a dog. So this is not something that well, is... No, unique. not necessarily. Not everyone goes to the puppy phase, right? That's true. Some people get dogs older. And some people have experience from family dogs, which I think is another big thing. It's all about... Everything in life is about expectation, right? And my expectation was off. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> like, I thought we'd be watching Red Zone and that would be that. You thought you'd be taking them to the pony in. Yeah, throw back a couple of pints. <laughs> Maybe in like six months. The other thing I would not recommend is going down rat Reddit rabbit holes about people's experiences. Um, Why? Because you can get to a dark place about six months in, nine months in. We thought the behavior would change, and it hasn't. Oh that type god, of, yeah. <laughs> There's a no end in sight. It's almost like the WebMD, but the it's like the worst. Reddit's like the worst version of WebMD, the most negative. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, 
that's that's exciting man i mean this is is this is kind of prep for uh you know the eventual kid right isn't that what people say it's like the first that's what they say i i do have a perspective though having only done one of the two that having a newborn puppy or a new puppy is got to be harder than a newborn child i have five reasons why you ready for this i'm ready this year this is gonna be controversial let me pull this up. And granted, I'm speaking from uh, half ignorance, given that I don't have a kid. But one, puppies can move. Babies can't. I think that's a key distinction when you're chasing after them. And they need their energy uh, taken out. Two, maybe should be one. You don't get time off work. You're expected <laughs> to actually work double. Three, this is the controversial statement. statement. They're not your physical creation. And so there's potentially a less immediate attachment to the dog. That's or even in the case of an adoption of a kid or something, at least they're a human who you can, in my opinion, relate to more than an animal. But, you know, neither here nor there. Four, they poop in places other than a diaper. Right? And five, they bite you. Which kids, to my knowledge, don't do. But you can see the only thing is you could come up with a list for babies like that, right? You can come up with a list for babies. I think number two on the list about paternity or maternity leave has got to be the top of the list of like how this is different. Because if I didn't have to go to work and try to like make sure that all of my shit was taken care of on that front without any disruption, you're not going to get excuses for saying you got a puppy. It's an entirely voluntary thing, though so is having a kid. But Nonetheless, it's, you know, family is a little different, is considered nuclear family. I'm not sure if the dog is included in that or not in the definition, but you're not, other than, oh man, I bet you're not getting much sleep. Ha ha ha. That's about all you're getting at work. And then you got to go back to it. So, um, and I'm, um, the, the other thing is like just not having experience, like you just don't know what to do. And it is, it's, it's People are like, enjoy the process. You'll never get these moments back. I'm going to push back and say that I'm okay with that. And I would like to fast forward to like four months from now and enjoy that part of the process. I think I would enjoy that a lot more. Yeah. I think what people don't realize when they say that either is like a dog three years from now is still going to be doing a lot of the same things, right? Yeah. Whereas a, a baby, I can understand, you don't get the time back because they're totally different. In a couple of years, like that phase is completely Yeah, in a few years, they start saying hurtful things to you. At least now they're crying, <laughs> but they're like not actually making any words. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, well, that's, sure, that's a dog cool, will man. Play a little bit, yeah, a dog will play a little bit less in four years, but they're still going to be cute and they're still going to like yeah. cuddle and they're still going to do whatever and get excited when they see you come home and what all those things. Exactly. How exactly. can this be the best part of the journey? There's no way. Well, they are the cutest at this point. Like that's undeniable. They're the cutest for sure. Cause they just like, they're learning and they're doing all this stuff. And that part's cute. But like, if you were watching it on like Netflix, that would be cute. <laughs> but you're living it. <laughs> yeah. If you're living it and the dog's like shitting on your head, then it's less cute and less cool. So la- last question I have about this is yeah. what percent, like, you know, of the time you're awake, right? Forgetting what I know, even when you're sleeping, you get woken up. What percent of your time is kind of focused on him or gets distracted by him? Is it 10, 20, 30, 50? I'm not even going to exaggerate. 
it is literally over 90%. Wow. Like if you looked at mine and Nibs' texts over the last six days, just the topic versus any other topic we discuss on a normal basis, just the amount of text. Cause like when she's at work, when I'm at work, we don't text as much just cause we're busy, but it is hundreds of texts per hour. Wow. All of being like, Oh, he did this. Should he be doing this? Did you put this in the note shared note? Did you make no- note of this time he ate this time he's sleeping? Hey, he's crying. Should I take him out? Hey, he's teething. Should I give him this toy? Does that mean he needs to go poop? Like, and then, Hey, he's crying in the crate. Should I go get him? Like, I would say over 90% easily. Wow. I did not expect that. And it's been six days. It's not been very long, which makes <laughs> me feel like a total bitch, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, we'll, we'll revisit this topic a little bit later. We'll see. How I'm underwater. Feel. I'm underwater. My mom is offering to fly up this week. <laughs> And I might take her up on, I'm about to buy her a flight if I can find one. But she has no experience with puppies, so she's going to get run over too, but at least the goal would be she'd be free during the week. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one more body. That's all you need. Who can take, who can collect five more fouls? (laughs) That's... That's, that's actually an amazing analogy. This is like, you know what we are? This dog is Shaq, and we're the 2001 76ers. We got like Todd, Todd McCullough, McCullough, Matt Geiger, and Kevin Matombo. 18 fouls, bro. That's all we're looking to do. Stay alive until Allen Iverson, a.k.a. Um, age, catch, carries us. Oh, man. Well, maybe. Well, that's a good transition then to some actual basketball. Um, so this weekend was All Star Weekend in Cleveland. You know, typical All Star festivities. You got all the contests every year. They're tweaking something, right? So there, there are minor tweaks to all the different games. I think the highlight for everyone is probably the All Star game itself because of the way it ended. Kind of came down to the last shot because of Steph. So where do you want to start with All Star Weekend? We can talk. Dunk contest, we can talk overall the weekend, NBA 75. So the one, the, the first, okay, let's let's start it this way. The very first thing I want to say is that the best thing about the NBA is they're never afraid to make changes. Um, they're always down to explore. They don't change the sanctity of the game, right? The sanctity of like the real moments, like playoffs, whatever. But they're never afraid to tweak formats to get it right, even if people are content with status status quo. Now, if you look at uh, the All-Star Weekend, it was a great example of that, right? A, the Rising Stars game needed a terrible need of a revamp. It was a joke. It was a dunk contest layup line. It was so stupid. The four-team format with the G League Ignite guys trying to make their name, you know, amongst the Cade Cunninghams and Scotty Barnes of the world, that was actually very, very cool. Um, nope. I thought it led to some pretty competitive basketball because they also threw in the Elam ending, right? And it worked perfectly because you're not going to want to go down. Like if you're playing to 50 or whatever, you're not going to want to go down like 40 to 18. That's not cool. The game will be over in 10 minutes and then there you go. You're back. You know, you're done for the weekend. That's one. The skills challenge was even in more of a need of a remap. It was horrible. It was basically whoever could just hit the three pointer at the end would win that particular round. That's all that mattered. 
the three versus three versus three was awesome. The way they set up the teams, Giannis, you know, the Antetokounmpo's versus yep. the Rooks versus uh, the Cavs. That was great. Um, and then finally, even the three-point contest, I know they didn't make the change this year, but doing the full rack of uh, money balls and doing the four-point shot or the three, I guess the, the three-point shot or whatever it is, you know, whatever, the, the Mountain Dew ball is such a great addition and it adds so much intrigue to the whole event. The last thing that they need to do is we need to figure out something else to do with this dunk contest because it's a nightmare now. It already started when we didn't get stars, and now the fact that they're allowed to dunk basically into perpetuity until they get it right has totally taken the air out of the building um, and messed up what used to be like the crowning event of the weekend. But nonetheless, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think the NBA has done a really good job with a bunch of these events, making them a better version of themselves. So I agree that all the events have kind of gotten better. The dunk contest, yes, major need of an overhaul i think last year i don't even remember last year's contest and then i remembered it was because it was done at halftime right it was like short kind of a truncated version yeah um whereas the year before was actually really good um that was the year we had i'm blanking who was who won it in 20 wait which one the 2020 dunk contest right before Um, the pandemic it was um wasn't that the Derek Jones one where Dwayne Wade? Voted yeah, for yeah, yeah. And that, that was a great contest. That was Derek yeah. Jones. Um, we also had Aaron Gordon still at his peak. Aaron Gordon still at his peak. Here's the problem with the dunk contest, and this year made it blatantly obvious: was it's just the attempts. You can't give these guys that many attempts, um, where you know it just sucks the air out of the building. The commentators immediately start making fun of it. Like the the biggest problem with the dunk contest is when it's not going well, the commentators are shitting on it. They're not hyping it up. The crowd is dead. So as a viewer, you can't get excited about it either. And it, it just completely sucks the life out of the whole event. So they have to do something, revamp it in a way which they're limiting the attempts and somehow preserving the creativity. Because the, the counter argument is the fewer attempts, the less crazy stuff they're going to try, right? So I don't know what the solution is, but I think the way they have it right now, all these guys, no one can nail it on their first attempt. And then even if they do get it on their seventh or eighth, no one's excited about it, right? I think this dunk contest had no 50s. Is that like the, have we ever seen a dunk contest where no one got a 50? Yeah, this one was especially bad. And I'm hoping it's just an anomaly because like it was really, really bad and like, the dunkers were not big names, but even the ones that have not been big names have produced some decent dunks. Like you remember uh, Diallo who won it from OKC a few years ago, you know, total obscurity, but his performance was, it was okay. It was fine. This one was like, Obi Toppin, dude, I guess you win, but fuck, we just wish nobody could. So I'm hoping it's a little bit of an anomaly, but to your point on the attempts, Am I going crazy here? Didn't we solve this in like 2006 when Birdman and Nate Robinson each had like 12 attempts before they made their dunks? How did we get back to the stage? I thought we already fixed this. There was a time where they limited the number of attempts, but then they changed it again, I think. Um, so They've tried all sorts of things. Remember the year John Wall won? It wasn't a real win. It was like he was dunker of the night and they had that like wheel that you had to spin to like... <laughs> And, and there, no, there's one point where they just had people doing as many dunks as you could in a given yeah, time. Yeah, it was like frame, right? 
it was like you were in the 2K lab and you were just continually like picking up the ball and going back and dunking it. Why don't they just the, the thing is you want to spur creativity, but you don't want to make someone go for unrealistic aims. I think it's very simple. It's two dunks. You get two attempts. So you can be, you know, you can be ambitious if you want. Go for something crazy on the first one, but always have a backup. Or go for something like decently hard where you think you're going to land it in two turns. That seems like the easiest fix possible. They don't want to stimulate the creativity. Because the moment you say two attempts, like why are you going to try for anything that involves even the slightest amount of precision, right? Because you, you still have the second one to go back to your backup. Yeah, but I mean, at that point, what, you're doing a backup dunk, and that's not exciting, right? Because your backup dunk's going to be something very safe. So I, I guess... Right? serve. Yeah. I mean, but I, I actually, you know, to your point, I don't think that the stars is the problem. We've been dealing with all kinds of no-names for a while now in the dunk contest. It's no longer become a showcase of star talent. That's been the case for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. But... It, to your point, they need the attempts is the problem. And why don't they have some of the G League guys come in? Anybody like Mac, like McClung, Mac McClung, South yeah, Bay like, Lakers. Yeah, anybody who cares? Like, does anybody care if it's Jalen Green or Mac McClung? Like, is that honestly like worsening the the telecast in any way? No, people just want to see dunks, and they got you know they got to limit the. They got to put a time limit on all the setup and the prop work. Like freaking Cole Anthony lacing up his Timberlands. I get it. It's cool, blah, blah, blah. But how long are we just watching him like lace up his shoes, get the crowd hyped, and then go up for solid dunk? But these guys are getting too much time. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. The Timberland thing was like, <laughs> it was kind of like Blake Griffin's car thing, but Blake Griffin was such a big name that everyone got hyped. Blake Griffin's car dunk was equally weak. Um, but it was the same thing where the setup took like 20 minutes. And remember one guy had like that gospel come out. And uh, yeah, singing. that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, the, the choir <laughs> comes out and sing. Oh, my God. This, I like yeah. it, but you got to bring it. Or you could just be like Zach Levine and throw down absolutely insane dunks with no props and no help over and over again. That's the thing, right? Or if you have a prop, be creative. Like... Um, the one that everyone talks about is Aaron Gordon's dunk where he has the magic mascot kind of spinning. Yeah. And he grabs it. Like, like, that's creative. That's using a prop, but it's not overdoing it, right? There's no fanfare around it. Um, I was so upset I went back and watched, rewatched the 2016 contest on Sunday morning with Levine and Gordon. So good. Like, so good. It's it, the dunk, the. Dunk contests are always a very funny indication of who mattered at that moment, but not even mattered. Who was like okay enough to stand courtside and be filming and coming out on the court, like the players I'm talking about. Like in 2016, Damari Carroll was like primarily involved in like the courtside action. <laughs> oh, because he was on that Hawks team? Yeah, yeah. It was so funny. Like I was just looking, and like all the uh, Kentucky guys were chilling. It was Walk, AD, Cat, and Cousins. <laughs> man long time since then yeah but. so i yeah so maybe you know the dunk contest i think everyone universally agreed as a a train wreck and i think the nba is gonna gonna revamp it next year because 
out of anything in All-Star Weekend, that one definitely got the most bad press. And yeah. even, you know, when they interviewed Obi Toppin after the contest, right, they literally acknowledged how bad it was. So I don't think it can get any worse than it was this year. Well, which leads to another point that people are talking about is like, why is that the last event? The three-point contest is so good and the stars perform every year because everyone wants, wants to shoot threes. Think about the star power in that thing. Trey Young, Zach Levine, you know, um, freaking Carl Anthony Towns who won it on like a crazy stretch. Um, bunch of guys that I'm like forgetting right now, but Steph Curry's done it a bunch of times. Like, you know, everybody who's a good shooter does it. And so that should really be the final event. It's very easy to predict how it's going to go. It's always going to be entertaining. Um, and you have in this day and age, as a number of good, great shooters as there are in the league, you know people are going to fill it up in a big way. So I think that should really be switched and the dunk contest should go second to last. I agree. The three-point contest is easily the best um, contest of the dunk or the All-Star weekend. I am going to disagree with you on one point, though. I don't like the fact that they keep injecting new rules into the skills challenge and the three-point contest. And the reason, and this is a total old man yells at cloud kind of thing, I don't like it when everyone is talking about Cat set the record for a highest score, right, with 29. Oh, yeah, you're giving them three-point balls. You're giving them a full dude, rack no, of money. That is, not, that is not a record that anybody knows it, or carries. It should always life. be out of 30. It should always be out of 30. Five balls in each rack, one money ball per each rack. Why do they keep adding more money balls? It's just, it's weird because why should one rack be worth way more than any others? I get it. You pick it and that's your spot, but it's like game it adds, theory, I think. It adds too much variability into the scores. Um, and so it's kind of like spreads in a way. Yeah, it's like spreads. I have a problem with that in, in spreads too. I think that the range from one to 10 is too high. We need to tighten it to one to five. But and that's neither here or there. It's just, <laughs> I just think that, and then the skills challenge, I liked the way they did it. But I do miss the old days where people cared and it was Nash for CP3 and it was just running the gauntlet of, you know, the passing and, and layup. And one thing I was thinking they could do is what if, you know, you went to that old format and let's say the best record of all time was, I don't know, Steve Nash in 2006 with 24 seconds. And you say that, you know, you do the contest, anyone who beats the all-time record gets a $2 million spot bonus. They're not going to fucking pick. <laughs> and, and now you, you have these guys gunning down the court, huh? Do you think the Fed is out here just printing bills? Oh, wait, they are. But do you think they're going to just, like, create this backing for the NBA to just offer $2 million every year for the freaking skills challenge? No, 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 no. Not every year. Only if you beat the all-time record, right? So this is not something that happens every year. But now you guys, you have guys gunning hard. Can you imagine how fun that would be? And then, and then big man can't even do it anymore. You'd get all guards. You'd get, I don't know, Steph maybe. Well, Steph wouldn't do it. But you'd get like maybe some bigger names because now it becomes like a there's money at stake, more prestige to it. I would love to see something like that. Like, why can't they introduce more cash incentives to make these guys try harder, make these guys try harder in these different contests? Well, they started doing that with the All-Star game itself, right? With the charity and this and that and like fighting, you know, winning money for charity. Then like that was kind of, I think that's helped. It seems like the All-Star game is a little bit more competitive. At least this week, this year's was close every quarter. 
I don't know if that was chance or not, because there was still some pretty lackadaisical defense being played. But I don't know what the NBA's like ability to just like spend ten million dollars on <laughs> All Star Weekend incentives is, but it's probably not worth it to them. Like the skills challenge, dude, like nobody's watching that anyway. And so you're like wasting lighting $2 million on fire. They probably don't care. Um, You could and should do that for something like the all-star game itself, maybe. But um, like, imagine if the MVP got $2 million and everyone's like, fighting their own teammates to get that. That would be kind of, no, that'd be terrible. Cause all these guys would be just just checking up shots. Unless you go the other route and you're like, hey, if I get 25 assists, I'm probably going to get the MVP. So maybe I go that route. Um, what do you think of the Elam ending? And before you answer it, I'm, I was having this thought today. What is so special about the Elam ending? It's the way we all have played basketball our whole lives. Oh, we know that. Everyone knows that. It's we not something. We talked about that two years ago, remember? After the Kobe tribute All-Star game when they first did the Elam ending. Remember we had that conversation of like, we love it because because it's the way we all learn how to play basketball. You play 11, 15, or whatever. Yeah. I think we always knew that, but, right? But why? What it, right. But then I got a re... I almost, like, forgot that we had that conversation, because then I, like, re-remembered, why do we call it Elam ending like he came up with something fucking, like, revolutionary? Well, there's no other name for it, right? What are you going to call it? The pickup game ending? Like he didn't come up with it is my point, Right. No, but I think I forgot the origin of the Elam ending, right? But he probably used it like we're not used to seeing professional sports end a game on a score basis, right? It's always based on a timer. Like that's across majority of sports. That's why it felt so novel and new, even though I agree we've been playing that format forever. Um, now, you asked me what my thoughts on the Elam ending are. I've always loved it. I was a in, Everything I've said, by the way, if you go back and listen to our pod from 2020, before they even did the game, I've been spot on with the guys going to be more competitive at the end of a game. It's going to matter. And I don't even think the charity piece matters. I think the reason these guys play hard in each of the quarters. Yeah. And honestly, it's, it's, I think it's because it's like when we go play pickup, right? Are you going to let your team get run out the gym three games in a row? Nah, you're going to try to win at least one to preserve your dignity. Right, so when they right. reset the score every quarter, I think it's just a pride thing. Like you don't want to get. I like it's not the, like, I like the score reset. Yeah, because then you're not you're not just losing one game. If you lose each quarter, it feels like you're getting just wrecked, right? And these guys have too much pride for that. So I think because of that, Team Durant played harder in the second, right? That they won the second quarter, I think. Um, they and then won because the of that, each, yeah. The one, the second, and the third, and then the aggregate score is close enough that makes the fourth quarter really intense, which last year I don't think it was the case, but two years ago it was. So, um, and and dude, and as you know, nothing beats the end of a tight all-star game. And this is even before the Elam ending. Like, you remember in 2003, Jordan's last all-star game was one of the best endings ever yeah. because yeah. it was close. And so I think even before the Elam ending, if you have a close all-star game, it's going to be good. And this guarantee, not guarantees, but gives you a much better likelihood of getting that close ending. Do you remember the year? I think it was one of the first years they did the fantasy draft, like the LeBron. I think it was LeBron versus Steph at that point. And LeBron drafted Durant and they doubled Steph and just locked him down in the corner on that very last possession. Yep. And that was, and everyone's and like, like, wow. 
Yeah, it's like Stefan shit, blah, blah, blah. The problem with these teams is like Durant is both hurt and terrible at drafting. So every year you go into it where LeBron has like eight of the ten best players somehow. And the guys that uh, are on, um, you know, Harden's uh, Durant's team just don't seem to want to play that hard. So it becomes very difficult for him to compete. Like they were, they, they flashed the box score from the starters of the team Durant, and it literally looked like Embiid was back on the Sixers. He had thirty six. The next guy had like thirteen, and it was it was like the tweet was like replace Tobias Harris with Chris Middleton and replace the Sixers with the you know team Durant all-star team. It's all the same from Embiid. And I was like, damn it, this is so true. Yeah, and then like in crunch time, you're watching like you know LeBron, Giannis, Luca. And then on the other side, it's you see LaMelo Ball, and I'm like, what is what is this lineup? Like, why are they playing these guys? Like, someone, yeah, the, the drafting is a problem. It also doesn't help that LeBron they don't do a snake draft, so LeBron gets the pick, and then it goes to, Durant and he gets and the first pick because he has the most votes, right? Yeah, he gets the first pick because he, he's always going to get the most, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, he'll always get. Should the we most talk votes. about that? Should we talk about? his standing and what's going on with everything he said over the all-star weekend. Sure. Sure. Let's do it. So he made a number of comments, uh, all of which were so classic LeBron. Um, so he, he, I guess, I don't know how to go through this in order. Cause I don't know when he said which thing, but the first thing, or at least what I thought to be the most interesting was like, I'm going to play with Bronny, no matter where he gets drafted, I'm going to go there my final year. Um, which which was known, like, and I've been saying it forever. Which that. is known, but it was weird for him to say that and kind of fucked up to put that much pressure on a high schooler who, I mean, that's his son. I'm not telling him how to you know, raise his kid, but just weird because Bronny is by no means a shoe-in NBA player, right? He's not like Zion Williamson at this stage of his high school tenure where he's going to go top five. So um, that's one thing, which... We'll see what that means, because as of now, the earliest that he can enter the league, I think, is 2024, uh, assuming they don't do away with the one-and-done rule in the next CBA. So that being said, he still has to be good enough to even come out after one year. What if he's not, right? Um, So that's one piece. Though, it would be pointless for him not to come out, because even if he doesn't get drafted, he could just get signed as an undrafted free agent, and then they get LeBron anyway. Um, So that's one thing. Two, this sort of passive-aggressive shots at the Lakers for not doing anything at the deadline. I'm not really sure what they wanted him to do. I don't really believe that LeBron thinks that John Wall and Christian Wood or John Wall and Eric Gordon were suddenly going to be the answer to all that ails the Lakers. But um, nonetheless, he didn't seem to be happy about that. And then finally, the cherry on top was him hinting at another return to Cleveland now that they have the next group of young studs in place for the final, I think, championship run of his career. So what what would you take from your boys' eventful uh, press conferences over the weekend? So the Bronny thing, you can take it two ways, right? Yes, he's putting pressure on his kid. At the same time, he's guaranteeing Bronny a draft spot because by saying he's a package deal, he Bronny's going to get drafted higher than he should go. And right now, I mean, he's a what? Like a, at best, end of the first round prospect. Um, early second round, at best. Um, but this, so let, this... Wait, let me ask you this. How many picks higher than his projected spot, spot do you think 
he will go based on those comments. So let's say I set the over under at 14 and a half, meaning under, under. So meaning if he was the 35th ranked prospect, I'm saying, would he get taken 20th or better? Maybe I'd say 10. I put the number at 10. Here's the problem, right? The problem is during on draft day, right? To, to take LeBron on, you have to have a plan to have the space, to have a roster. And you don't know if you're going to be in a position to draft Bronny. So it's not going to be as easy as I actually don't know how it's going to work out and who could take him. And then if, and if look, if Sacramento takes him, is LeBron going to want to go there? No, they're well, going to negotiate a trade out. Pretty much willing to sign for the veterans minimum. Yeah. yeah. And I know he said it's not about the money. Or they have to trade all their players to match whatever salary he wants. I know you said it's not about the money. I don't think he's going to take the vet min. Okay. Let's no, no superstar. I don't care what point they're in the career taking the vet min. Um, unless they're totally washed. And LeBron, I don't think will be totally washed. So whatever. I think that was an interesting comment, like you said, like that he put it out there publicly. Um, but at the same time, uh, there's so much that we have to see with, with Bronny first before we even think about where he could go in the draft. Now, to your point about LeBron holding the Lakers over a barrel, look, I'm the biggest LeBron stan. I'm not a fan of it. I don't like the way this is being kind of this war that started with the Lakers front office and the kind of, given that LeBron was the guy who wanted Westbrook there in the first place, does not make sense to to put the blame on the Lakers front office. All that being said, I am absolutely amazed and shocked at how much people are harping on LeBron and his LA tenure and making it seem like this abject disaster that's happened. When people forget it, and I don't care if you call it the Mickey Mouse ring, the, the bubble championship, they won a title. This is all house money at this point. So I have, I also think that people are not being grateful. And LeBron has, like, once you've won a title, you can do whatever you want. Toronto won a title in 2019. Kawhi literally said, peace, I'm gone. And no one gave him any grief about it because he won them a title. And I get that the Lakers have higher standards and all that, but this is a franchise that was in disarray before he got there. So as much as I don't like how LeBron's handled it and the way he's publicly having these fights, I also think the Lakers should be catering to his every need because what is the better alternative? I am very confused about this like revisionist history about the Anthony Davis trade and like, sort of this alternate reality we're living in where suddenly that wasn't the right move or that the look right it's confusing and like as much as i joke on the bubble mickey mouse ring they were also mowing the league down before the stoppage so we can't of course know what's gonna what would have happened we know ad's body is by no means sturdy so maybe he breaks down without that extended break but nonetheless they won the title so whatever you want to say they won the title and to me, that's what's so confusing about the way the Lakers are being covered. The Russ trade was a cataclysmic disaster. But they won the title. So it's like, what are we like? What are we talking about? Because, okay, so maybe they don't win this year and maybe that's all they get out of LeBron, but they, they still got one. He was there for four years and maybe he stays and they got one. Maybe they'll get more. And like the thing is, 
I still go back to last year when Anthony Davis was healthy in the Sun series. They were dominating. They had a 2-1 lead and basically blew Phoenix out in games two and three. And then he goes down at the start of game four and the rest is history. Now, all that to be said, it's not like anyone in the West is like overly dominant, like the, you know, the mid 2010s Warriors. Like, why is it so hard to believe that they could just retool around James and, 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 uh, Davis, trade Russ, keep Malik Monk, get rid of all these like top NBA 75 scrubs on their team and just like try to retool around that. Like it doesn't seem that inconceivable. Of course, you and that to your point is why they should kind of cater around his needs because a healthy LeBron and a healthy Davis, I think, still makes this team very, very good. Um, the question, of course, is the health and like as they age, how that's going to go. But I'm wondering if part of the reason they didn't make the trade for Russ is because they didn't want a shit, you know, situation where they're trading for John Wall. It's like ultimate band-aid approach, giving up this coveted 2027 pick. Why don't you go into the offseason, understand that this is probably a lost year with Davis's injury and say, hey, once Russ is an expiring deal, once we have access to the 2029 pick, we can start to put together something more meaningful than... John Wall and Eric Gordon. And maybe that's the philosophy. And they, and LeBron is just strong on him like he's done so many times. Look, and I agree with that. Right? I, I'm My point is not that they should have catered to his ask and traded for John Wall. I don't think that's the solution. I think my point is more people, because of the way LeBron and Clutch is, is kind of holding the, you know, they made several bad decisions, right, with Westbrook and, you can blame LeBron for that because he was the guy who wanted Westbrook and not Buddy Heald and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, people are talking about the Anthony Davis trade, like you said, trade not working out. And would they have been better off with Ingram and Ball because Ball is playing so well? And I'm like, dude, Ball is still, what, the fifth best player on the Bulls? Fourth best player? Like, he's a guy who gets a lot more – he's a great player. But people talk about Lonzo Ball like he's a star. Brandon Ingram – Great player. We still don't know what it is. And you want a title with AD, right? So, yeah, I don't um, think you go back and revisit the AD trade. And if but anything, friends are like, like, oh, should we trade LeBron? Should we, like, I'm like, dude, this is your best chance at winning. Take it to the offseason. LeBron's going to make demands. Try to figure out what you can make work. And, like, who cares about the 2027 pick? Like, why are these fans like, oh my God, we can't give up another pick? If, if that means keeping LeBron versus keeping your pick and getting rid of LeBron, what, do you want to go back to the Lakers who you're starting, um, you know, what, D'Angelo Russell and all these Jordan scrubs? Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson. Like, if you, if you want to do that and be a, a bottom feeder again, that's fine. Do, go ahead. If anything, I actually think there's a lot more criticism deserved of Anthony Davis himself. Because the version of him that they traded for and the version he showed in 2020 – is nothing like what we've seen in 21 and 22. So that's not really the Lakers' fault that this guy at the age of 28 has somehow like regressed as a player. Um, injuries aside, I mean, the guy is shooting 17% from three this year. So there's an element of it, it's like, okay, well, we just traded for an NBA 75 player in his prime, won a title with him. He's clearly like a DPOY, MVP kind of caliber player. Then he falls apart, and that's somehow a dumb trade because – what we gave up Ingram and some picks like that doesn't, you can't, that's, that's like going beyond hindsight is 2020. It's not hindsight. It's like literally like a deviation from any expected curve of his career. And he could still get back to who he was. So 
to me, that's the big carrot in this whole thing is what version of Anthony Davis are we going to get next year? I think we know from his New Orleans days and now Lakers days, he can't be the title, the best player on a title team. He just can't. Nope. Um, so it's a lot riding on 37 going on 38 year old LeBron shoulder. So maybe he's looking around like, why do I have to still do this shit at this age and this many miles? He also kind of likes doing that shit. So if he did go to a situation like Cleveland, I'm curious how much he would, you know, defer to a Garland or Mobley or whatever else. But, um, but I think that, you know, it all rides on like what Anthony Davis is going to come back with next year. And if he looks more like his 2020 version LeBron's healthy, like they're going to be fine. Like, I really think that they're going to be able to compete for a title if those two guys are healthy and, you know, they can get out of the rust mistake. They can make the wall deal this summer if they really feel so gung-ho about it. I, I don't think they do it this summer. I think they were in more of a panic mode in the trade deadline, and LeBron was like maybe shaking it up for uh wall would, would help. But I think the offseason will give them more opportunities to do better moves. Now, to your point about Cleveland, I don't buy it. I think it's just it's just to get people excited, and he's just mentioning it. And I know everything LeBron does is calculated, so people see that as, oh, he's clearing his way to maybe another move to Cleveland. I don't think he's going to go there because what have we known about LeBron? Like Going and playing with a bunch of young guys, he's not going to trust them. People said this when he went to Cleveland the first time, like, oh, he wants to play with Wiggins and, and Kyrie. They shipped Wiggins out, right? Like You think he's going to go to Cleveland and then just – rely on Garland and, and Mobley to win a championship? Nah, one of those guys gets moved. Um, so I, don't, I, don't, wait, I don't even think it's... You think so? Well, They're I, ready, maybe right not, now. but... I mean, you got two All-Stars on their team, plus Mobley, who's like primed to be an All-Star. I would be shocked if they traded any of those three players. No, Cleveland, Cleveland shouldn't and probably wouldn't, right? But my point is, LeBron is not going to go up against Giannis, KD... All these team um, Embiid in the East, these juggernauts that are now in the East, with Mobley, Jarrett Allen, and Darius Garland. Like I, I know the Cavs are great on paper; they're competing, and adding LeBron will make them really good. That team's not winning a title, so I don't think LeBron is going to go to that team just as is and is going to be content. All I still right. think there's well, a better chance. Of that I'm interested to see that, see how that would uh, play out because I think they are. Those three are good enough right now around LeBron to be a real title threat, but it's fair. Like, is that better than a Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Steph, Seth Curry combo? Who knows? I mean, Brooklyn. We is haven't there. seen Mobley and Garland in a playoff game, man. Come on. Like, I, I don't care how good their advanced numbers are and what they've been putting up this season. Like, once they get into a seven-game series, like, LeBron can't wait a year to be like, oh, this year is just about getting them experience. Then we'll go try after it next year. This guy is already up there in his eight years, right? You think he's going to put up with these young guys trying to win a title? No. That's true. That's very true. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I think he always gets bored, I think, also in these situations, and he gets impatient. Though we don't ever discuss that the impatience is brought on by decisions he forced on the team, but nonetheless, he looks at it in a very – he, he – LeBron is a guy who's always lacked, I think, a certain amount of accountability for everything that happens outside of the 94 feet. No, oh, 100%. Because he's like, all right, well, I'm 37, and I'm third in the league in scoring, and every night that I'm playing, I put the team on my back. And we're still not, we're still the nine seed. That's the extent of his thought process there. 
He's not thinking I push for the rough trade. He's not thinking like, you know, I back THT over Caruso. He's not thinking I told him to sign Mello and Ariza and Dwight Howard and all these dudes. He's thinking um, 29 points a game, eight assists, nine, re- seven rebounds, whatever it is. What the fuck? And he has a great way of compartmentalizing all of the other stuff, but as it relates to his performance, there's no denying that I think this is as good or better than you could have expected from him at this stage. Yeah, and and he does, you know, when it's convenient for him, he'll throw Palinka under the bus or ownership, right? When yeah. it's not convenient for him, he won't. So I I don't like the way he's handled this. I don't like the way Clutch has their fingerprints all over this. Um, it's not good for the league. I also don't think it's some... I don't think that when people compare what LeBron does and then what Zion does, I don't think they're the same thing, right? LeBron oh, is me. going to command power. And guess what? Jordan commanded the same kind of power. He did. Jordan just up and walked away for two years and comes back. Like, he could, Jordan could do whatever he want. Um, LeBron is also in a position where he can do whatever he want. He wields his power a little bit differently. He's making more moves on the chessboard because he's trying to find the right situations. But I, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't like how he's doing it. But like you said, he's putting up numbers. He's playing the best to the best of his ability. Does he loaf? Does he give up on defense sometimes? Yes. But at this age, this is late stage LeBron. You can't expect that much more out of him. And I think the Lakers, the, the biggest thing you said is Anthony Davis is the problem. If Anthony Davis was not a shell of himself, even if this team wasn't, a top seed, they'd be what third, fourth in the West, fourth, fifth. If Anthony Davis is playing really well, yeah, and, like, I mean, carrying them some nights and healthy. That. That's what I think. I mean, it's weird. This one, this one's been weird because even when they've had all three guys, they haven't blown the doors off anybody. But yeah, you would assume they're right in that Denver Dallas mix. Yeah, yeah. They if they were all healthy the whole year, I think they'd be right up there in the five seed, and that's not great. But at the same time, it's enough to compete and give yourself a chance at a title, right? So. Anyways, I don't know, man. It's I did not like I don't like what LeBron and, and his camp is doing, but at the same time, I think if you're the Lakers, you don't you have to just run with this and hope for the best. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's a good segue to the last topic, which is um you you, you just alluded to it, which you know, the next <laughs> chapter in this player empowerment saga of hell is is what's going on in New Orleans with Zion Williamson. Um you know, kind of a minor story in that it was just sort of an off, sort of like, you know, offhand quote from CJ McCollum on some random interview he was doing about how Zion and him hadn't spoken. And it picked up a lot of steam. JJ Redick went on first take, crushed Zion, which was crazy for a number of reasons, as a lot of people have pointed out. They both went to Duke, so they share that brotherhood. They both um, are rep by CAA, um, so usually you don't really have that kind of intra-agency uh, quibbling. We know that more so than anything with clutch sports and how tight-knit they are, and uh, for better or worse. Um, so this is just the latest example of a guy who seemingly hates his basketball situation, so as a response is chosen just to avoid basketball altogether. Now, I know he's actually injured, so this isn't like a, I'm sitting out because I don't want to play. But my sense is he's not in any sense of urgency to return to the court. And there's a very good chance he never plays again for the Pelicans. So two years ago, three years ago when he was drafted, he was the future of the team. He looked 
unbelievable his second year in the league. We both, both I think, had him on our All-NBA ballot. He just missed it. Now he's missed another big chunk of the season, probably misses this whole year. So I guess, like, I don't know how to, how you want to take this, but on one hand, to me, there's a what's he going to be as a player uh, just from an injury standpoint because we know when he's healthy, he's a great player. But B, I'm like, what does this say about him and what does it say about the way every one of these types of situations is now having precedent to go uh, from here on out, whether that's LaMelo Ball in a year or whether that's Anthony Edwards in two years. Just obviously neither of those guys – have voiced these type of concerns, but it could be anyone at this point because that's about as secure as it fell with Zion. It's a good question. And and Zion, but I will say the one difference with Zion is his personality for a guy who's coming in with that much hype and that much star power. He's never been a guy who's been that vocal with the media, never been a guy who's generated a lot of attention off the court as being a talkative or a leader or getting all these quotes about him, right? It, everything's been about his on-court play. A guy like Lomelo is more characteristic. A guy like Anthony uh, Edwards, Ant, right? A guy like um, John Morant. All these guys are young guys that just seem to have some kind of leadership qualities or some kind of gravitas towards him that Zion never really had off the court. And, you know, you know you, whatever, everyone's different. He's a different personality. But then you start to hear these reports about him being kind of distant and not really, you know, uh, engaged with the team and all these things. And part of me is hoping that this is not a symptom of something we're going to see across the league. And this has more to do with Zion as a personality is just like this. And, you know, just because he's doing it doesn't mean all these other guys are going to start doing it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the way this plays out is going to be very important because if Zion gets his way and I don't know, they move him early. Like, like we said, we've never seen someone not take that rookie extension, right? It would be insane if he doesn't, all, if there was all that smoke about Luca not doing it. And yeah. then obviously he did it right. And it would be insane for Zion to not do it, but the way this is heading, it seems like it's not going to be resolved in the a lot, of course, we don't know the actual story, but right now, with all the smoke happening, it seems like this is not headed towards a happy resolution. And the thing I worry about is if he becomes that first guy to break that precedent and get his way and get off that first contract, we might see that more across the league. But yeah. I still think it's more of a personality thing than a, a, all the young players are going to start wielding this kind of power. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's couple of good points you made specifically in that yes it's it's personality driven just because zion does it doesn't mean every young star is going to think the way he does but what i think it does open the door for is whoever those young stars are that are potentially disgruntled maybe it pushes them towards a move like this because they know it can work versus yep. a let me grip my teeth and just get this extension and figure it out so the guy top of mind to me is donovan mitchell right who clearly is not thrilled with the utah scene i think there's been some racial tension there frankly with the way you know, his focus has been on a lot of social justice initiatives. Utah has not necessarily been the most progressive of locations as it relates to some of that. We already know the Gobert piece, which has been covered uh, quite a bit. And then the fact that they're just not breaking through in a way that you thought that they might, given how good this team was in the regular season the last few years. Now this year, it feels like they've fallen even out of the top two or three and like 
I wouldn't be surprised if they went home round one, right? Like if they play Luca, Luca puts Gobert in the spin cycle and suddenly they're out in six games. Like I could easily see that taking place um, where they play Denver and Jamal Murray comes back and that's a different series. So all that to be said, maybe someone like that sees the Zion blueprint and wouldn't be the kind of person to, to be as kind of uh, uh, what be as sort of as much as adversarial as Zion is, but still do something similar where there's back channeling to say, Hey, I'm not signing this extension. Move me now. We actually saw it a little bit with Kristaps Porzingis, but interestingly enough, the Knicks kind of wanted to move on from him too, just given health concerns. And so we never got that reported in a way that was similar. It wasn't like that superstar asking out. It was like, "Eh, I'm not sure we really want this on our, on our books. Um, the weird thing about Zion is he came into the league as such a fun-loving, like great, humble person. And maybe he still is somewhere and it's just a bad situation here. But everything he's done, including a lot of what JJ said, is is really not a good sign and has nothing to do with the Pelicans organization. Even though they've made a number of mistakes, these are things that are more about, like he said, the brotherhood in the locker room, the camaraderie amongst players have nothing to do with like the jersey you wear. It's all about like we are players in the league and we all afford each other the same amount of respect. CJ McCollum is the president of the damn players union, right? Like he's not just some random 10 day guy they got or some random buyout guy. Like this is one of the faces of the league from that standpoint. And so, you know, it's surprising. It's unfortunate, but reality is I think more than anything, it's his health. If he's healthy, the Pelicans will fall over themselves to give him the max. Cause you're just not yeah. going to find him anywhere else. Um, talent wins all for better or worse. And, for him, it's just about availability. Whatever type of asshole he wants to be off the court. Yeah, and, and and to you know to clarify my personality comments, he is by all means supposed to be a good kid, but but I don't, we don't see know. him. I being mean, that. we thought he was, but some of this kind of makes me think otherwise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but when I say good kid, I mean he's always been a fun loving, kind of affable type of guy. Yeah, but he's never shown the love and the desire to be that leader for the Pelicans and to be the guy. Right? He's kind of shied away from those types of comments. Um, and look, the one thing I don't like, though, is, is people defending Zion. I mean, there is some of the conversation around, well, the Pelicans didn't, they mismanaged his time, right? And they cite things like, uh, you know, the um, Van Gundy, right, uh, higher. They cite uh, the fact that they gave up Ball, who could have been a good pairing with Zion in moving forward. And I, I, while I think the Pelicans have not made all the right moves, we're also talking two years. Like, you can't tell me, like, oh, you're not happy with what happened in two years, and that's a reason or that justifies why Zion should leave. Yeah. Right? Because they clearly are making win-now moves. It's not like they're punting all their best players. They made moves for CJ McCollum. They're clearly they trying to win. Willie Green seems like team. a solid coach. They're a good team. They're playing hard. So I don't know what more you can ask of them you know, despite some of the miscues they've had, it, it can't fall on them either, right? So to me, I don't understand why when you haven't even stayed healthy, when you haven't shown that you can come into uh, camp in shape, why should someone give Zion the benefit of the doubt, right? And it's just disappointing to see. Well, and I've said this a bunch, but like at some point, this player empowerment stuff, as, as important as it is for like, labor rights and this and that and all these macro factors, it will affect the business of the league. And I think once it does is when Adam Silver is really going to have to change 
kind of some of the rules. And I don't know what those changes are. I think it's not an easy answer, hence why nothing's happened yet. But something's got to shift between the way things are done now versus the way they need to be done such that the, the, the people who are going to drive the interest in the league are actually playing basketball. Um, as much content as podcasters have got on, gotten out of fake Simmons trades, it would have been a lot better if he's been playing the last 50 games versus, and you could still make the Harden trade, but if he has been playing and he's actually been putting his work on the court versus this like, hey, I'm going to just light 30 million on fire because who the fuck cares? Like that cannot be good for him and it cannot be good for the league. We have to figure out a way where that isn't the resolution to I'm unhappy about my situation. I agree, but you know this is going to be an issue with the collective bargaining agreement, right? Um, and this is the kind of thing that the owners are going to push back hard against the next CBA. And are the play is the players' union is just not going to give concede any of that because right, they never want to concede any player power. So does that mean we're headed for a lockout? Right? I don't think it's as simple as Adam Silver stepping in and solving anything. This yeah. is going to be a contentious thing at the next CBA and. I don't know what the solution is because I agree the player empowerment thing is going too far now. But at the same time, the players association is not going to make any concessions or why would they? No. And they're the ones that had to take the shorter contracts, which is the whole reason we're here in the first place. We're a year or two into someone's deal. They're already thinking about the extension. They're already thinking about free agency. That was the decision of the owners to shorten the contract. Yep. Um, and they probably still would do that. Like imagine a deal like John Walls or Russell Westbrooks instead of four years and being seven years like I used to. Like that's <laughs> a decade of just killing your team's ability to perform. So um, I'm not sure where they'll land on this, but it's certainly the owner's bed that they've made uh, that they have to yeah. sleep in to some extent. But again, like there's a certain point that will be beyond the blame game and it'll be about, okay, what's best for the collective health of the league? Because that's going to, ultimately you know impact both players and owners alike i hope they realize that right because you can make an argument that look zion gets his way and he goes to the knicks isn't that better for the league's bottom line yeah that's the sad thing is that they probably it, would benefit it, from a zion trade for the the diehard nba fans and the pelicans fans and the small market team fans they don't win but in the grand scheme of things zion's going to do better numbers the ratings will be better if he's in a different market, right? So that that's the part that worries me. Is it really in the NBA's best interest? Right. So. All right. Well, that's a wrap for us. Uh, we're going to come back next week with a ton of sort of observations from the early days of uh, a lot of these guys. Like James Harden's going to make his debut on Friday night. Um, hopefully Ben Simmons is not far behind and can't wait for the stretch run. I think the Eastern Conference is just going to be a bloodbath these last couple months. So, really, did, did you see the latest picture of Harden? No, is he skinny again? He looks velt, and it's just this running joke now. It's like, dude, no one can put on and lo- like lose forty pounds faster than James Harden. He and I know it's the angles, like and but it's it's just funny because there's a picture and he looked slim. He reminds me of like, you know, in like wrestling and high school wrestling to make weight or to lose weight, you like try to like train with sweat, sweats on and run stairs in your football stadium and lose like 25 pounds in a day. I mean, I wasn't doing this, but I've heard of people uh, that, that were involved in, in such activities. But that's really what it's like with him. He just can gain it and just like lose it like nobody's business. It's wild. Yeah. But anyway, rate, review and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please. Uh, 
follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Please email us any questions. Have a good week. My alarm is set for three hours from now. Um, so I'm going to try to get as much rest as I can and try to make it. Is today Friday? Today's Friday, right? <laughs> today's Wednesday? I don't even know. It could be any day of the week. It's two days until I don't have to um, wake up and go to work after not sleeping all night. So we'll, we're almost there to the end of the week, but hopefully my mom can come in and provide a very <laughs> necessary reinforcements. But that's a wrap for us, and we will talk to you next week.